This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. Takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. We are back with another episode. Um, a returning guest today, T.R. Hudson, um, who is a great writer in our scene, part of the literary contingent of of uh of the the dissident right i guess you would say and um he has a new book that he's come to talk about and just talk about things in general called the perfect and the wicked um so welcome to the show tr thanks for having me yeah of course so you know uh, i people send me in our scene books all the time and your last book which was called automaton was a sci-fi book about kind of like a futuristic um america and you know it was completely and totally different from this book that you have <laughs> recently written so uh this recent book is basically like um it's like a generational family story about irish people like in new york and it's like kind of got obvious kennedy stuff in it it's a little bit like the godfather it's a little bit like departed it's like an it's like a family epic whereas this was completely and totally different from your last book which was like a sci-fi adventure um so tell me uh, how I, I part of me gets the sense that you actually wrote this first and then published the other one and then you went back to this is that true or tell tell me the motivation of behind this no i actually wrote this uh over the course of a couple months uh recently i just i've i've always kind of i have an irish background so i've always kind of been steeped in the the kennedy lore and, you know, part of it, the more that I learned about that family, the more that I was intrigued by Joseph Kennedy, the the patriarch of the family. And, yep. you know, the more that I got kind of steeped in the DR, I, I kept thinking about this guy. I'm like, wow, he's like he's he really is like an American Faust. Mm. Like everything that he did was af- was to attain this one goal and it didn't matter what got in his way. And he he was willing to sacrifice most everything, uh, even even things that are you know precious or sacred or holy or whatever you, word you want to use. Uh, and I thought you know this is this is really good to. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of gold in this vein to mine. Uh, so so yeah, uh, one of one of the things I like about being you know an anonymous Twitter writer is I can switch genres up on people <laughs> and I, I'm not accountable to an agent or to a right. publishing house or, I mean, I'm accountable to my, to my readers in, in some sense, but you know, they're also, they're not reading like they're reading me for me. You know, they like 
me as a writer. So yeah, there's, there's not going to, there's going to be some confusion or some like, Oh, I don't know if I like this one versus this one, but I, I, it's not like I changed styles on people. It's not like I changed, you know, the core of my writing. I just, you know, dress it up differently. Mm, Okay. So Joseph Kennedy, this is the father of JFK. Yes. And uh, end of our end of RFK. Right. Right. So who was this guy? Who was who was Joe Kennedy? And and yeah, why so, is he so fascinating? Yeah, so I mean he was he's actually the son of uh you know uh two very powerful Irish families in Boston that sort of came together. He's in a in a sort of political marriage and he was the beneficiary of this. He was an early adopter of the studio system in Hollywood. So I think, I think it was RKO studios that he was in charge of. Uh, He was, um, you know, most famously, although it's disputed, but also kind of not, he was a bootlegger in the, in the 1920s. And that's how a lot of people think that he got the, the vast majority of his wealth. I definitely played with that um, in, in my book. Uh, he was said to have had a few different mafia connections. The the election of 1960 between JFK and Nixon, a lot of people say that uh, the reason that JFK won that election is because Chicago and the Chicago outfit uh, delivered Illinois for the Kennedys. Uh, you know, I'm kind of neither here nor there because it's at least an interesting legend. If it's true, that's, you know, kind of kind of messed up but it's at least interesting. So that's why I wrote about it. I didn't want to do like a bi- uh, a biography of the man because everything that I thought was interesting about him, I couldn't find like concrete right. documentation on. So I'd rather write a book about the legend rather than the man. So, but the end is a little bit, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, we don't have to say what actually happens in the end, but the end is like a little bit of, again spoiler i'm just gonna say spoiler the the end is a little uh it's a little melancholy though right i mean it's oh totally a little, it's like it's a little bit i'm actually not 100 clear what you're going for in the end it's like it's are you saying that these guys are rootless and ultimately uh this was all sort of not worth it yeah yeah i think i think not not so much rootless as he was trying to be something that he clearly wasn't. He right. was trying to embed his, uh, the roots of his family tree in America that I think is, was founded for and by wasps. Uh, okay. So it's right. the same ending as, uh, same ending as two books. I don't know. If, I mean, of course you've read great Gatsby, but so same ending as great, great Gatsby. And also the, have you ever read American pastoral? I haven't read American Pastoral, but I did read Great read Gatsby. American yeah. American Pastoral is fucking I mean, I don't know how how much you hate Jews, but uh, <laughs> if you if you uh you know, it's fucking awesome. And you know, a lot of people accuse Philip Roth of being anti-Semitic. Um even though of course Philip Roth is very Jewish. He's like the um, most Jewish American writer, except for maybe like Saul Bellow. Well, right. And, and no, he's even more Jewish than Saul Bellow because everything Philip Roth writes is about being Jewish. Uh, and Philip and and uh, 
American Pastoral is this is it, it, it's one of my favorite books of all time by by far, and it's um it's the story of a character named Swede Lavov who grows up in like in New Jersey, and uh, he's blonde and he looks like very uh, gentile. He doesn't look like a Jew at all, and he's great mm-hmm. at baseball. Mm. So he essentially like becomes a gentile, right? Like mm-hmm. he spends his entire life like building towards gentiledom, basically, you know. Right. Right. And uh, he completely abandons Judaism, of course. And the whole story is told by his brother, and the brother is like clearly like uh, the Philip Roth character, and and his brother's like a like a, the total opposite. His brother's like a complete ultra Jewy doctor. Right. And, you know, right. and Philip Roth is very open about this shit. It's not subtle at all. Like Philip Roth <laughs> like says, like he's a Jewy doctor versus like a not Jewy doctor. And uh, so he lives this perfect life. Right. Uh, Swede Lavov lives this perfect. He, you know, he, he uh, has a very easy life. He takes over his father's glove factory and, you know, becomes he completely adopts the uh, Gentile wasp American dream. Right. And uh, but the story begins with his brother, who's this like much more Jewy like surgeon, say like explaining his death, like explaining Swede's death and how like he got some like stomach cancer from stress. And you go back and you learn the whole story. And basically what happened was Swede Lavav, he lived this perfect idyllic life. Everything is perfect. And he and he marries Miss New Jersey, who's Irish. Mm. And uh, they have this daughter and the daughter becomes uh, who the daughter is kind of like fat. So like him and his wife are like perfect, and the daughter's this like kind of like fat like Jewy girl, <laughs> and and she becomes a member of the Weather Underground, and oh. starts like bombing, and like goes on the run, and it's like him trying to relate to his daughter, and there's this legendary scene where he he his daughter goes missing, and he finds her like living in like skid row basically and it's like the most appalling horrific scene you've ever read in your entire fucking life it's so fucking good i'll have to i'll have to pick it up yeah and i, uh, I haven't met uh i haven't read much roth yeah most roth is really not worth it i mean i don't i'm not like a huge roth fan in any other contracts american pastoral is 10 out of 10 masterpiece it's cool. in every way on the level of anything uh great it's not, and it's also completely not like Portnoy's complaint. It's like he gets a weird rap for having those really sexual books. Mm. Like it's a little sexual, but that's really like not the point. It's really about being Jewish, and it's the same. It's like Jewish Gatsby, basically. Got it. And okay. uh, I, I read, I read some interesting um, commentaries about Gatsby actually, like uh, in college, about how he's actually like coded as Jewish. Uh, oh really? Yeah. So like Jay Gatz, they they're they're saying oh, that Gatz is a is a shit. Jewish name. Yeah. Damn. So maybe he is. Maybe he is Jewish. Maybe Gatz I mean, and it's especially especially like you know his relationship with Wolfsheim. Uh, or wait, Wolfsheim. Wait, uh, yeah. Hold on. Wait. What's what's the remind me? Uh, he's the gambler who uh, uh, he's like the Meyer uh, or not Meyer Roth um, Meyer Lansky. Yeah. 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 And uh, they they just you know the the reason that he has all his money is because he he's working with this guy. Yes, uh, 
Right, 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 right. So I mean, it's yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Wolf, wolf, giant, wolf, yeah. giant. Yeah, right. No, I, I do remember. I do remember. Yeah. So, I mean, the, like obviously, the the book is is very. Uh, it leans a lot on Gatsby, uh, but at the same time, like I, I don't know. Like it's definitely a, it's it's definitely a very modernist book. It's a kind of a hundred years too late, uh, in, in some respects. But I don't. I just had the. I needed. I needed to put this one out. I had the idea, and it just kind of stuck with me for a while, and it just came together so easily. I was like, "Yeah, this this can be a book. This can be." Because uh... I have a bunch of ideas that I just either don't act on or act on very slowly, like the sequel to Automaton. I've been sitting on forever now. Yeah. Uh, much to some people's chagrin, but uh, yeah, I just. You know, this it, it was a lot of fun to write, and like I said, Joseph Kennedy just sort of astounded me as a as a person. It was it was interesting to kind of get into his head and try and understand him. Right. So, um, wh- how did you like differ from him? Like, what do like you know, like what what parts did you add versus what parts were really true to life? Well, I he didn't have a bodyguard who had a sexual relationship with his daughter. That I made up. Um, he did have a daughter, Rosemary Kennedy, who was born. She, she when she was born, not enough oxygen got to her head, so she was a little slow, and it got so bad to the point that they had her lobotomized You're and right. then just yeah. kind of hidden away forever. Yeah, uh, which is also another uh, very classic literary trope with many examples. Right, right. The, the crazy sister who's locked locked in the attic. Yeah, exactly. You know, like Jane Eyre. I, you know, I just read Jane Eyre for the first time. Yeah. It was awesome. I love that book. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's full of. Uh, let's say he didn't own a baseball team. Uh, that was just you know my kind of love letter to the sport because I'm a big baseball fan. Not so much what it's kind of become today, but, uh, you know, more of the sport that I watched growing up. And let's see, what else? Uh, you know, he ha- he did have a son that died in World War II. Oh, really? Uh, yep, yep. Uh, Joseph Kennedy Jr. Uh, was a oh. test pilot, and he was supposed to be, like, he was the heir apparent. He was going to be president of the United States, right? And and that was another thing too. Like I was imagining, like okay, your one son dies, you have all, you have a bunch of other sons, and he he's got to give like the next man up speech, uh, to his sort of playboy, unserious son, mm-hmm. who you know the the JFK uh sort of son, right? And yeah, it, it it was just it was so it was steeped in so much drama and so much melodrama um there's there's a couple of really good books on him uh there's uh, a book just about rosemary that i read uh but i kind of i i took her in in a, in my own direction cuz i wanted to show that even though this guy uh was trying trying to be the best version of himself and trying to succeed in the world there's something there's something in his bloodline that's just not gonna let him do that you've got you know his father was a drunk his his son becomes a drunk his father was uh 
always around loose women. His his children were sexually immoral. So it's like you, you can't escape your fate in some ways. And I think that's that's what makes tragedy so good. Right. So, but like, then what would you have these, uh, but haven't Irish people basically proven this wrong though? I mean, like they kind of are, I mean, are they really still separated? You know? No, no, they're not definitely. But I guess, I guess what I'm saying with the book is like, like something definitely changed in the country when, when Kennedy won it, you know, it the the end of sort of the FDR New Deal era of America, where you had buy-in from the wasps. Uh, it it suddenly became oh, uh, the parties don't actually need the old money in America. We've we've sort of got enough immigrants and enough patronage networks that we can put these people out to pasture. And I think that's that that's kind of what I was going for. It's like yeah, like maybe. Maybe the Irish can succeed in America, but, you know, for how long will America kind of stick around, you know, like, and, and these are my people too, you know, so I don't want to shit on them too hard, but at the same time, it's like, you know, there's who, who name a great Irish statesman, you know, like Michael Collins, maybe that, that's Parnell, but he was British. So it's like, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, right. So I, I do think, um, you, it's kind of, the whole thing is sort of like, uh, it feels like, um, this generational sort of comment, uh, and it's, it's like, um, you know, what, what the, the guy, the patriarch had to do in order to like, create this life for his his kids so like i don't know do, do you feel that like like where do you see that in the world today oh see i don't see i i see him not creating a life for his children he's creating it for himself he's creating right. his own legacy yeah sure he'll excuse he'll make the excuse that it's for his children but you know he he, he doesn't let their hopes their aspirations get in the way of his ambition and then that's part of the reason that things fall apart is because he sees them not as people, but as pawns in his, in his sort of, in his game. They're, they're just parts of this equation that he has like uh, to, to create a legacy for himself, which ends up falling away at the end. It's like, it's almost as if he was never there in some respects because he, he pushes his kids into positions that they wouldn't have gotten there organically by themselves and it destroys them. Well, but it doesn't destroy them, right? Because they become like, the, <laughs> if they go, and it destroys, far, it destroys most of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they, they get pretty, most, a couple of them get pretty far, but one of them is like a Korean war POW who just is haggard and insane and a, and a drunk. The other gets assassinated. One is, uh, sort of it, it i i try to set up that yeah he's one lives basically but he he's the one that was also le uh least likely to follow in his father's footsteps yeah. he was the one that was trying to get away 
I don't know. I'm 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 pretty angry at the boomer generation, so some <laughs> of that can be in there as well. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I, I have they're some... boomers. They're boomers, right? The yeah, kids yeah, are no, boomers. Yeah, the kids are yeah. boomers. But but because I wrote it today, it, you kind of map it on to uh, today's politics or today's uh, generational uh, strife. Let's call it. So why why are you mad at the boomers? <sighs> yeah, and, and and it's it's weird because I'm mad at like an idea, not so much individual people because my my parents are boomers aunts and uncles are boomers but it's very clear that they're not going to give up the the houses that they bought 30 years ago for like a tenth of the price that they bought them at and they're going to they're going to there there's this idea that millennials don't work hard and don't save or or they're buying 10 dollar avocado toast and that's the reason why they're yeah, you've you've heard all the memes like, oh, why don't you just go if you want a job, just walk into the the office, shake the office manager's hand, and he'll give you a job right then and there. You don't need ten years experience for an entry level job. Like they they've created a world that's very good for themselves at the expense of their children. Yeah, they kind of pulled the ladder up, right? Right, and they're and they're they're not letting go of control, even though you know the. Joe Biden's 70 some odd years old. We've got people in Congress that are showing up to vote who don't know what day it is and then dying <laughs> like right there, like basically on the floor of the Senate. It's, it's very apparent that they're not going to give up power and they're, they're steering a ship right into the iceberg, let's say. And all I can do is say, Hey, look out for that iceberg. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sure is weird, you know. I mean, it's it, the the question is like, what happened to them, and and I guess the bigger question is, like, is it really their fault, or are they kind of like, you know, is what happened in the nineteen sixties really anyone's fault? Like what, what actually happened? Cause it's so odd. You know what I mean? It's, it's such an odd thing to have happen. Like why did suddenly this whole generation just like, you know, abandon the will to live? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's, like, I think where, that's where did they get this it. from? Like, why, why did that happen? It's, it's so weird. It's like, I, it, and I it, like, is there other analogs of this in history of like a generation? I mean, they say that Julius Caesar's generation was a little like this, right? Probably. They say that his generation was like super effeminate, you know, like they all, they said that they all like talked like girls, you know? And uh, they say Caesar himself like talks like very in effeminate way. Um, and, you know, I, I, maybe it's just kind of like when when a society reaches a certain point of comfort, this is just what happens. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me it reminds me of and I hate to do this because I hate people who reference comic book movies. But in uh, in the third Dark Knight movie, where Bane is like, uh, "Peace has cost you your strength. Victory has defeated you," I think about that a lot, like a lot more <laughs> than I 
<laughs> then I probably should. It's just such a good line. Right. That's well, it's kind weak of... men, you know, good times. Weak right. Men. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, though. It's it's not that simple, though. You no, know, no, definitely there's, not. There's been there's been good times before. You know, it's not it's not like everything's been a constant struggle. It's definitely something weird happened in, in the 1960s. You know, something really. You know, I like now I think so much about what's what's happening to us and I blame it on the longhouse, right? I think that mm -hmm. that's like to me, and I say this every single episode, but to me, like the changes trace to 2014. And I think what happened in 2014 is that like a certain number of like the demographics inside workplaces hit a tipping point, like suddenly almost like almost all at once, they all hit this tipping point. And that just made it so that their products and the way they behaved were so totally different because they had reached this sort of new demographic balance that was completely different in terms of men and women. And well, and in terms of, you know, uh, people who are not hired for, for their skills and not, right? Well, so that's interesting because, I mean, you're a marketing guy, obviously. And, you know, everything that I know about marketing is, oh, you market to women because they're the ones that do most of the spending in a household. And I think maybe what, what we're seeing is we're marketing to women who don't have, who are the household, you know, they're, they they don't have to consider a family. They can just consider themselves and maybe a, a, a pet that they call their baby. Yeah, so. Yeah, so, I mean, just once, once, you, once you do that, you know, men, of course, you're going to live in a longhouse. Of course, you're going to have men... Not, not even an afterthought, but just a, a, a hindrance to this, you know, this gay utopia that they're trying to build. <laughs> you, so you think it's the, you're saying it's the people, it's the customer. I think I, it, probably a little bit of both. I, I think that if, if there was positive marketing out there for people like, oh, it's, it's great to have a family do this, do that. But I mean, that's also, you, you can't sell family. You can't just like, you can't sell being healthy you can sell cures and you can sell uh you know replacements for the meaning that a family gives you uh or or let's say god gives you right, yeah. you can you can sell temporary things but you can't sell um like i mean you, people have tried to sell god and you know that's how you get like joel osteen and stuff like that but <laughs> but most people see that for what it is at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, it's easier to sell the, the opiate of the masses rather, rather than the, the genuine article. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, all, all religious institutions sell God at some level though. Don't mm -hmm. they? You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'd agree with that. They have to, I mean, there's no, they have no choice, you know, it's the ugliness that's attached to the, you know, the niceness of the, of the actual thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I remember I, even just going to a sermon and the guy is, is talking about um, how you have to give to the church. Uh, and, and it'd be one thing is like, hey, you know, we, we could really 
use some money to keep the lights on, you know, stuff like that. Like we're not a business. I could respect that. But when you're tying it to my immortal soul, I kind of, I tune out more or less. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you have this other project that's called uh, double dealer. Yes. So what's going on with double dealer? Double dealer is a magazine. Um, yeah. Tell me what's happening with that. Yeah, sure. So uh, you, you had my buddy, JL Mackey on. Yeah. And uh, you guys talked about the double dealer. And we talked uh, about his book. His book yes, also, he did. Which is, which is great. Uh, not as good as my books, but you know, he's, 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 he's a good writer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we, we started up a literary magazine, uh, kind of revived it from an old magazine from Louisiana that was around in the 1920s. Uh, you know, I'm from the North, so I don't, I, I wasn't as attached to this as, as the other guys on the project. And they just invited me because, you know, I, I do have a little experience editing and stuff like that. And I'm, I like to think I'm a good writer. So they wanted to have me on because of my talents and my charm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we, we, it's a quarterly magazine. Uh, we're about to put out our third issue tech we're calling it issue 11 because there were eight original issues back back in uh, on, in the original iteration yeah i was like well, how the hell are they already on issue 11 yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and that was that was that, that created some controversy controversy and even we were like oh maybe we should just kind of do our own thing but uh you know kind of too late for that now we're, we're just gonna we're gonna plow ahead but uh, this will be the first issue that we have just random people submitting. And our thing is we want to, we want to create uh, even, even in our small way, some sort of patronage, right? So we're paying for these stories. We're paying artists and sales have been good. And we, we did a, a round of fundraising and and I've put in, you know, so I, I won't say how much, but I've put in some of my own money. And so have the other guys, uh, and I started a podcast actually as, as part of this uh, called cannon fodder uh, where I have, you know, different Twitter anons on and we talk cannon about their fodder, TR Hudson. Okay. Nice. It's, it's, it's on the, it's on the, the double dealer sub stack. Right. Oh, got yeah. It. So I have, you know, a Twitter anon on and we talk about their favorite book. So, oh, so far nice. I've had uh, Dan Baltic. We talked about a Confederacy of dunces I've had uh, the Prudentialist on. We took four hours to talk about the brothers Karamazov. Yeah, wow, uh, four hours, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. We well, and broken up into two episodes, so so it was. It's a little manageable, and uh, yeah, I've got I've got some great guests coming up, and the reason I did that is if I can if I can get eyes on the magazine in some different way because you know unfortunately more people are listening to things than they are reading things. If I can, if I can get people interested in this, I can fund the magazine that way. Well, so you're saying I'm looking at it now. You're saying Spotify nuked your account? Apparently, so you'd have to talk to Mackie about that. He's the one that set that up. So we're just gonna live on Substack for a while. I have video versions of my episodes uh, that I can uh, put on YouTube mm -hmm. uh, eventually. Yep. But you know, I'm just kind of juggling a lot at the moment, so trying to trying to keep it uh, manageable right now. Totally. Totally. That's cool. Wasn't there some kind of like weird, like feud or something? I heard there was some feud. 
yeah so sorry no no that's fine and uh, salacious no 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 and that's totally fine um we there was there was an artist uh he did the actually the cover of my first book um he's he's a really talented artist and he was on the board and there was just a a fight between guys i actually was the one weekend that i decided to be away from my phone is when this happens uh you know obviously there was a there was a difference in creative opinions as well as uh, some some words said that uh, can't easily be mended and and ways were parted and then alcohol gets involved sometimes and and there's some some shit talking on the timeline unfortunately uh, uh, yes. you know classic <laughs> it happens drama man well it wouldn't be if there was no drama we'd be doing something wrong you know what I mean. Yeah, and that's that's an unfortunate uh, byproduct of of trying to do stuff with people you you also don't know in real life to some extent, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's when when you're not all in a room together and you can kind of size each other up and, and also get like body language that that can that can cause some issues when it's just words on a screen. Yeah, you know it's funny. I've found that some people like actually in general the people in our space, since they're all online people are actually like generally better at communicating via the internet than they Mm -hmm. are in real life. Like, so it's pretty grating. A lot of the events in our space, so I just recently stopped drinking. Mm. Without drinking, the events in our space, I mean, all events are grating without drinking, but Particularly in our space, the events are very grating. I, I went to uh, Peter Thiel's Christmas party last night. <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't be saying this, but uh, whatever. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about it. It was it was unbelievable. It was like so opulent and like so cool. Absolutely crazy. Um, But for me, when I don't drink, I'm like, I have such a hard time like talking with people, you know what I mean? Mm. Particularly like internet people, you know? Right, right. And everybody there is, you know, big brain internet, like, board, you know, some very big names there, very big people. And did, uh, you know, did Elon not... show up in his cyber truck? No, I didn't. Elon was not there. Elon nah. was there. I mean, maybe he came later, but, uh, um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know, you know, it, it's, uh, I just have such a hard, like, it's weird because I've never been an internet person, mm-hmm. but like last night, all I could think about was, man, I just want to get back behind like the warm comfort of my computer and just tweet, <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't want to like have to deal with the pain of like human interaction. You, you, you know what I mean? That's, that's dangerous though. You yeah, know? I know. Like, like this is like what I'm becoming. Whereas I was never like that before. Right. Like, now, right. like you just get so comfortable on Twitter because it's just totally your, you know, it's like you're in charge. You're completely in control. Whereas, you got like, it. You have to literally yeah. touch grass. Uh, yeah. Out, whereas out in the world, you're like not in control. And, and when I'm not drinking, I'm like way less outgoing. So I'm just kind of like quiet and I'm sitting there and just being like, uh, I don't know what to say. I have nothing to say. And uh, yeah, it's funny uh, how our guys are very much not good at dealing with like in real life shit. You know, they're they're because they're all like used to 
you know, being in control, like talk, talking on the internet. You know what I mean? I think it depends because there are some, like there are a lot of attempts these days. Like my buddies over at the the Old Glory Club, they're trying to do a lot of IRL events. And oh yeah, I think you showed me that once. Oh, yeah, no, they're uh, they're they're a good group of guys, and they, you know, they they try to they 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 call it basket weaving, where it's like you know you just do meetups in real life, and right. I don't know. I my experiences with Los Angeles, no offense, have always been <laughs> sort of uh, just not really positive. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. But I I can imagine that just the social scene there has to be completely draining because every. And, you know, from my experience and also from what I've heard about people, it's not so much about like who you are, but like, what, what are you doing? What, what can, it, it's, it's all very, what can I get from this person in this conversation? The trope in, uh, the trope in the tech world is what are you excited about? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I can understand how that, that's just like, it's not even a party. It sounds like a networking event, you know? Yeah. Whereas Don Draper would say it's a uh, work disguised as play. Right. Yeah. And so. that's definitely what it is. I mean, it's like, yeah, I just was, you know, I was like in a, I was in like a talk circle with Peter Thiel, Mike Cernovich, Neil Strauss. <laughs> Neil Strauss. Do you know who Neil Strauss is? I've heard the name before. He's, uh, he wrote the game. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. And, you know, we're all sitting around talking about, you know, this thing or that, some political issue, you know, there's, and there's like 10 of us there. And I don't know, like, you know, everybody's saying this smart stuff and I'm just like, yeah, I just like, don't know what to do with myself in those situations. I'm just kind of like, uh, okay. Like, you know, am I supposed to just like say funny things or like, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm in this Twitter group chat and we're all talking about who we would do you know like <laughs> right that's what i'm saying whereas then you go on the group chat and you can just say whatever you want it's like hilarious you know it's just it's like so much more comfortable on the internet which is really bad like this is very sad and bad that like in real life like interaction is so much more painful than than again it's so much more about like who's dominant you know like who uh yeah, who's like holding the mic, you know what I mean? And like some people are more uh, better at like doing those group conversations, you know? Right, right. I don't know. Like, I, I I, say this and I have a I have a pretty rich IRL life, but I, I, I also try to keep uh, the two the two worlds apart, yeah. like. Uh, I I've never been out in public as T.R. Hudson, let's say, and I don't know. I'm thinking about maybe changing that because I'm I'm not so controversial that uh, I can do I can't do that. Yeah, I don't think you're really that. I I I don't think you would be an enemy. You know, we talk about this a lot. It would like who would be an enemy and who wouldn't, and it's like some people just aren't their enemy. You know, like so they they just don't see everyone as like somebody worth going after. You know. Yeah. Not, not that you're not worth going after. I just no, no, I, I, I totally like, get uh, that. It's like, yeah, I'm not uh, one. I, I'm writing, I'm writing fiction, you know, yeah. which is automatically just like such a small pool. It's not like I'm, uh, you know, putting out my dissertation from college about how we need to uh, implement eugenics for the good of mankind. You know, like, 
they're they're definitely and one I've also got like less than five thousand subscribers or followers on Twitter. I'm not the the biggest guy in the world, but uh, I don't know. It's it, it's always it's it, there's always a calculus to it because it's like yeah. I mean I don't know. You know I think that some of the frogs are completely. They all like like um i've uh they all like juiced each other up about never you know you never break you never uh show yourself you you know you have to be completely locked up behind closed doors and then i think when bap like face docs and has been like kind of embodying his real self more yeah. recently I think that kind of threw them all off a little bit because now they're like, oh, well, when are we supposed to do that too? Like, you know, that's kind of like what I've been, what I've been seeing. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're not going to, nobody's going to really trust anybody unless you can shake their hand and, and look them in the eye. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, no. And also like, that's what, you know, I, I helped plan urban assembly, which involved getting a lot of frogs mobilized and trying to get certain people and not getting certain people and blah, blah, blah. And man, like, I won't say who, but I, I got, I've gotten in like big fights with people and it's like, and because when real money, like it's all fucking fun and games and shit until real money gets involved and until real favors are being made and real shit starts happening and that's when the morality of the anon starts to completely evaporate you know right yeah. and you start to kind of like see who people really are and you start to i mean again i don't think that that's who you really are i just think it's like people just behave differently and and the right is so fucking bad at this man it's like we have such a disease when it comes to organizing. We're fucking terrible at it. It's why we can't have patronage economies. The left is like so cohesive. They're so supportive of each other. Whereas we're just like all extremely disagreeable people. Me, absolutely included, by the way. Uh, and so, you know, we have such a, we have such a hard time organizing things. I mean, uh, but on the other hand, it's like, do you want to be just an ant in an ant colony type deal? What do you, you know? mean? What oh, just, you know, like the bug men, of course, are really easy to organize, yeah. you know, like, so like that we're, we've almost selected for disagreeability. So of course, any attempts to organize are going to be strained because everybody has this image of themselves as the, the exception to the NPC rule in some ways. What do you mean? What do you, you mean that everybody in our scene has right, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's true, and I think that we're all like, you know, we all we are we're snowflakes in our own way. You know? Definitely, like, we all think that we're the very special smart boy. You know, right? We're the no, last I... truth teller type of thing. Well, I've been accused of that of, of, by every normie friend has always accused me of being the last honest man. Oh, exactly. And, and I mean, even even like there are a bunch of different like everybody, everybody in this in this scene is either militant atheist or militant Christian. And it's like, OK, we're we're agreeing to put that argument aside for now because everything is just so fake and gay in the world. 
But as soon as that yeah, argument yeah, flares yeah. up, even just a little bit, right. even between denominations, you know, like I've seen, uh, like I grew up Catholic and I, there was this, this one, this one guy who posted a picture of himself in the Sistine Chapel with like a, a Martin Luther t-shirt on. And I'm just like, like, okay, like, what are you really saying here? Like, is this really, is this the is this the enemy you want to fight right now sort of thing? Like, I don't know. Just yeah. when you get a bunch of guys that. I think are... I saw that picture. It yeah. Wasn't exactly. it like him and a girl or something? It was yeah, him and his yeah, wife and they yeah. had, and they had matching t-shirts and like, first of all, I'm not going to go to the Vatican in shorts and a t-shirt. Uh, even if, even, even if I was like an atheist, I would like, just because it's, I don't know. Me personally, I think that you need to have certain reverence for things, but maybe that's why I'm not an atheist. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. Know. You, uh, no, you, I you mean, wouldn't... you're totally right. It's like, we're just waiting for, we're, we're waiting for like the, the next phase of shit. That's gonna, people are going to fight about, you know, it's it, it really, it's kind of like actually, you know, the, the Irish civil war, right after they beat the british so in the 1920s uh the british they say okay you can have home rule finally and suddenly you have two different irish republican armies you have the guys who say no we don't even want the british anywhere near us versus the 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 treaty ira who are like okay we got peace this was a really costly war and we got most everything we wanted so and, and suddenly you have like a year or two of just bloodshed over what is essentially splitting hairs, but for some people splitting hairs is like a life or death thing. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Very true. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I was just going to ask you something else and I completely forgot what it was. Oh, what I was going to say is, yeah, in your real life, I mean, like, are you, do you argue with people in your real life? I mean, do they know, do people know your position? I, I don't know how, for some reason, I always think of you as Southern because of the guys you're associated with. But you're uh, <laughs> no, no. And I, I, I kind of like that uh, people don't know where I am and where I'm from. Uh, although, I mean, like I, I've writ, I, I wrote most of my books about New York and New Jersey. So yeah. that, that gives you a clue. <laughs> but um, no, I'm, I don't know. I'm not really argumentative, even online either. Uh, there are a couple of people online that are always that want to start stuff with me. And I just I don't have time for that. I, I wish I wish that I had enough time in my day to just hate somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you're and, you're a very prolific writer. So I, mean, well, I appreciate that. It's good that you're focusing on that. Yeah. And, you know, at at the end of the day, I, I know because when I first started out, I thought, oh, I'm going to do a political podcast, right? Because I have political opinions. And at the time, they were like very normy Republican opinions. And I was starting to read and I was starting to listen to, to other guys. I'm like, I really don't have anything interesting to say here. And I don't know nearly as much as I think I do. Uh, so I'm really glad that I didn't pursue that. And I decided to pursue fiction because it's something, one, I love literature and two, it's something that I enjoy doing. Uh, and other than, you know, who I think sucks and who I think rocks, there's not a lot of controversy in, in right-wing literature at the moment. 
Uh, and you know, maybe that's because it's small. Maybe that's because uh, literature might be might be dead or dying uh, in, in some ways. Maybe most ways, actually. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, like our buddy Astral thinks that the novel is dead, um, and he, I, I would butcher his words if I tried to if I tried to say it because he's a he's a very verbose kind of guy, um, but he he thinks that after David Foster Wallace and his like uh, in Infinite Jest especially like the novel is kind of dead especially in America. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. But I mean, people just don't read. It's it's part of the reason that I started a podcast to fund my magazine. You know, um, I'm hoping that by by having frogs on who to discuss their favorite works, it'll encourage people to not only get into the classics, you know, but also see that there are people who are trying to keep this thing alive, more or less. Uh, the novel and like, is dead. Is the novel dead? Hmm. The novel. I don't know, you know, I mean, so who are you reading? Let me ask you this in our scene or anywhere, even adjacent to our scene, what are you seeing that you're liking? Let's see. Uh, well, a lot of everybody's doing short stories these, these days. And I think part of that is because of like passage prize uh, that that seems to be the the easiest way to get people's eyes on things because most of them are quick. You can read them in like 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and there's some pretty talented short story writers out there. Uh, obviously the, the guys over at double dealer, I think, are I wouldn't work with them if I didn't think they were talented or if I didn't think they were talented rather uh, Paul Fahrenheit. He's a, he's a pretty talented short story writer. I don't know if he has a novel out yet. Uh, you've read Nutcranker by Dan yeah. Baltic. Really funny book, really good yeah. uh, parody of, of things that are kind of going on these days. Uh, his co-host over at New Right, Matt Pegas. Yeah. Have you met him? Yeah. No, he's I, been I, on here. We, we we did his book on here. We talked about Dragon Day. Yeah, Dragon Day. That, Dragon that, was, Day. that, was, the first, that was the first frog book I read, and I just, I loved it. And I was like, okay, I, 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 there's, there's talent here. You know, yeah, nothing uh, like uh, picking up a right wing book and having there be a hardcore gay rape scene. In the yeah, and, but you know what? To, to be to be fair to him, uh, it worked within the narrative, and it wasn't like even he's like I'm I'm I wrote that so long ago that like I kind of am like a, a detached from it, and I understand that. But uh, I don't know. I like the book, uh, uh, in spite in spite of the gay rape scene. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, like it's obviously in service of the book, you know. Right. Uh, but P Pagan's funny because he, uh, you know, he's like, um, there's a few guys in our scene that are very trad, but have like this odd kind of like obsession with sex. Mm. Uh, like uh, Bennett's like that too. Bennett's phylactery. You know, like he'll always, his tweets are always like, oh yeah, I'm just like a nice Mormon. And then he'll have some like really sexual tweet. <laughs> and I'll be like, whoa. And then, well, Bennett, you know, what is this? I mean, that that's, that's part of the, part of the yeah. danger of, of having uh Twitter is that like, you know, to, to in Freudian terms, it's your id can come out and just kind of run rampant on the timeline, you know? Well, I, and, I think it's also like intentional, right? I mean, like being, a, being a trad is uh you're going to have a kind of a certain relationship with sex, right? I mean, it's right. going to kind of be back and forth. 
Uh, have you read uh, Marty Phillips' books? No, I don't even know who that is. Uh, Marty, Marty, Marty Phillips. I don't know if he's on Twitter anymore. Uh, but his his two books are from uh, oh, what's that? Uh, Antelope Hill. Uh, their 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 fiction imprint, Jackalope Hill. One of them is Let yeah. Them Look West, and the other, his recent one, is a collection of short stories, like I was saying. Uh, called millennium and he i think like him or zhp uh they might be like the the best writers in our scene uh in my opinion at least i think marty uh he's just he's the clearest he's he's one of the clearest thinkers in this whole scene uh really great writer Hmm. yep what's what was he on twitter yeah, yeah, he was um, Marty M R T Y. Yeah, Phillips. Phillips. Yeah, uh, he has a blog, and I think you can really only get to him um, through his email. Marty Phillips. Yeah, uh, he had a, he had a couple of alts on Twitter, but he has it. I don't see any. I don't see any. It, it was it was never like Marty Phillips, uh, like at Marty Phillips or anything like that. I, he kept it kind of intentionally obtuse. Uh, but if he's got a WordPress, uh, and okay. I'm, yeah, just really good writer. Uh, d- highly recommend his stuff. His short stories on his uh, WordPress are really good. His book is amazing. I actually haven't read Millennium yet, uh, but it's on my shelf. Uh, part of part of the reason that I started the uh, the Cannon Fodder podcast is to uh, read more classics and get get people's recommendations for things. Mm-hmm. which has been a blessing and a curse because now I have now I have no time to write because I'm just I have to read in order to schedule these interviews to put content out and yeah I'm sort of on that that uh that content carousel and it's uh but, yeah. not like the cock carousel it's the content <laughs> exactly carousel. yeah yeah and then like, you're just I'm gonna a... hit the wall you're gonna yep. hit the wall. dude exactly. I'm post wall man I'm fucking post <laughs> I literally cannot read fucking jack shit I'm I'm pretty much done with reading I've just like given up reading in general uh, that's I, a damn that's I just a damn have no shame. fucking time Wait, when I, would I, I read there, yep, there's no. no I mean you have kids don't you no I don't uh oh, don't. not not yet no yeah wait till you have fucking kids bro no more. yeah no I know hey, uh my my buddy uh my buddy uh pcm christ he's he, who also one of the double dealer guys he yeah. he's telling me the other day he was like man I, i'm trying to write this book i'm trying to read because he has a podcast too i'm trying to get double dealer stuff done i'm also trying to you know uh be a father you know as yeah. well as having a normie job yeah dude. it's impossible yeah. i mean i yeah. do everything i listen to shit that's what i do right yeah everything and i mean I that's do, i listen to it yep Yep. And I can't I can't do audiobook fiction. I can do like nonfiction audiobook because then it's just somebody just telling me something. Yeah. Uh but yeah, and and maybe that maybe that's it too. Maybe like, you know, the, the four hour life doesn't involve reading because it's such a yeah. Uh it's yeah, such no, a, they don't want you to read. They don't want they would no, prefer they don't. you don't read. No, yeah, I um uh, I I agree. There why why is it impossible to listen? There's some, it's such a, somebody should do like a thing on this. Like I can listen avidly to a full nonfiction book or a podcast or, you know, God, I've been getting so into a murder maid. Yeah. Oh, he's great. I was pretty skeptical of him at first. And then I just found his Jeffrey Epstein fucking series. <clears throat> Man. Incredible. Yeah. I've fucking good. One of the best things I've heard in a really long yep. time. 
Yep. No, his his he did a lot of research for that, and he and and that that as long as your podcast is well researched, uh, it's it's probably going to turn out good, even if you have uh, not a good voice. Which I mean, he his voice is fine, but I've heard like uh, some some podcasts with like guys with like grading, like even like I've listened to some Joe Rogan because I like to keep my my toes in in normiedom somewhat. And sometimes Joe Rogan, I'm just like, oh man, I can't listen to this guy. Like it's something about his voice. I just, you don't like his voice. Yeah. And, and and that's maybe that's you know personal foible. But you but, feel that uh, way about Daryl Cooper too? Martyr no, no, no. I, I I think he's I think he sounds fine. You like uh, his voice. So you know, yeah. to be honest, I gotta be honest though, his voice does kind of bug me sometimes. Yeah. Uh he does this thing where, where with the ends of his words where he'll fade out at the end, end of the word. Mm. Now and, and I'm going to look like for it, that. It and then I'm going to like, it sounds very like he's like, uh, it's, it sounds very like feminine to me in this way. And it actually really bugs me. I'm going to so start I, looking for that. I and then I I'm going to say, wait, sorry. What? I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to start listening for that. And then I'll be like, <laughs> great. He ruined, he ruined yeah, it for he me. Ruined, uh, you know. ruined him. Yeah, no, I mean he's fucking fantastic though. But anyway, the my the larger point I was making is why is it so, um, like impossible to listen to fiction? Like it's a fucking impossible to listen to fiction, whereas it's not at all impossible to listen to nonfiction. Have you ever gotten stuck hearing somebody tell you a story that you're not totally bought into? And then you're just standing there and waiting, waiting for them to be done. Uh, that's my life. That's uh, you talk about what I do every day. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, so, so you know, why would you, why would you subject yourself to that? Uh, just because it says audible at the beginning. Well, right, but I'm saying, like, why shouldn't it? Why should we not be able to hear, like, a great? Why can't? we listen to brothers Karamazov. Like, why can't I listen to a great work of literature? It doesn't work for some reason. Yeah. I, I, I think if it's I listen to the story of Ernest Shackleton. I'm like fucking like on the edge of my engaged. Seat for yeah. I know. 12 straight hours. You know, I think it's because when you read, you're reading in your voice. So it's almost like, like you're thinking. Yeah. So it's, a, it's your, your brain is engaged in a different way. Totally. And you can like do things with the words in a different way. Like, right. You, you like kind of like, yeah, you kind of like digest things differently. The art of reading is really quite different than the art of listening. It's very true. You know, and it, it, with a nonfiction book, you can read a sentence and then you, you digest it in a different way. And you can, you can interact with a nonfiction work in a different way than you would like fiction you know, because you can take one sentence out of a nonfiction book and be like, oh, great. I have like 10 different ideas based on this. Whereas, you know, a novel, you you just take one line of dialogue from it and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. But it's not, it's part of a, a greater whole, you know. So if you really people don't think about novels in terms of chapters or sentences or like, you know, small ideas, you got to take it from the whole thing you know what i mean yeah yeah right 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 definitely it's, it's fascinating it's a weird time you know it's a weird time to be a writer well a lot of weird ways to make money a lot of weird 
you know, things to do. Do you think you'll ever quit your day job? No, probably not. Uh, I don't think I'll make enough in my lifetime. You know, maybe. It's funny how you just are like, no, I don't care. <laughs> like, what? No, I mean, yeah. at the same, like I make, I make a couple bucks here and there for my books and it's awesome. Uh, but I'm doing this, you know, I mean, some, some people say like the only reason to write is for money. Like, otherwise, why would you do it? Yeah. I, only, I, only a fool writes, but for money. Right. Right. And maybe I'm a fool. Yeah. You know, Cause <laughs> I, I just, I, I really like it. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm going for something more than more than a couple bucks right now. I want to be great. What do you mean when you say you really like it though? Like, what do you mean by that? Like you, you're just like having a fucking blast when you're sitting there writing or like, no, I'm not having a blast at all. Yeah, I'm, It's, I mean, it's, like, it's like I'm tearing my hair out yeah, when I'm writing yeah. it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to be the first man on Mars. Right. Yeah. But I can, I want to write something that lasts past my la lifetime. Okay. You know, I, w I want to, and you know, I'll, I'll never be Dostoevsky, but I, if I, I could get pretty close, if I have that in mind, if I say, I want to be the next Dostoevsky or I want to be the next Hemingway or something probably won't those guys, you know, generational doesn't even like scratch at what they were. But yeah. if I shoot for that, maybe I'll get close. If I just say, I want to be Stephen King. I want to be J.K. Rowling. Like, yeah, I'll make a lot of money, but my books will kind of suck. Well, how long have you been writing for? Remind me. Uh, like four years. Yeah. So you got to make it to 10, first of all. So before you make any decisions, if you have this desire to do what you're doing, you got to make it to 10 years. So you got six more before you can even say anything. Right. Right. It takes right. that long to get good. You know, the, the 10,000 hours thing is gay and lame, but it's also like kind of true. Definitely. And it, yeah. it's definitely true of writing. Um, And, you know, if somebody asked me the other day, like, like, what do you, you know, like, what, how do you, what Dave Green, the distributist uh, tweeted, how do you get better at writing as an adult? And honestly, the way that I've gotten better at writing is, putting shit out there, letting the public decide. Right. Mm -hmm. and, you know, the early shit that I wrote was total fucking trash and it still exists, which sucks because I published it, you know, like you, I, I just published the first shit that I fucking made, you know, I was just like, here right. it is. Yeah. You know, which some people do that, you know, the delicious tacos method is the opposite, which is, you know, write for a year and don't show anybody. And then, you know, show it later, which is, you know, I, I could never do it that way, but I understand, you know, there's something good about doing it that way also. Um, so you got to get shit out there. Uh, but the only thing that is really like necessary, in my opinion, is you have to get in a situation where somebody is being very critical of you. You know, it's the, the one thing I will say about our scene and the thing that I think is like, you know, possible, like fatal flaw is that we do not have a good curatorial mechanism, right? Definitely. I, I mean, look at uh, Man's World, right? It's really like our only magazine. And God bless Raw Egg for doing it. But the only problem with Man's World 
is there's not like a super harsh, keen editor, you know, like, like forcing you to be really perfect. Right. Right. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, this is not a critique of man's world. I'm just saying like the times in which I've had major breakthroughs as a writer have been when I've been forced into a situation where I have some asshole pressuring me all the time. And that just forced me to be good. You know, it forced me, even though all those assholes, I don't respect any of them. You know, I know I can tell you who they are. One was my first editor at LA, LA Weekly, total schmuck. Later on told me he like couldn't publish my writing because it had it was too much like the other, you know? Like, because I was just talking about like my perspective as a white guy, which was like, not okay. You know? Oh no. So, you know, I had to impress him, but I bet for three years, you know, I wrote for LA weekly and I just had to, like, I had this fucking douchebag who's a shitty writer, by the way, he, he writes books. He's I'm way better than him now. Um, you know, I had him breathing down my neck. The other thing was becoming a copywriter. Uh, I was terrible at copywriting when I started, but I went to portfolio school. I've had all these jobs with a bunch of creative director assholes above me. You know, that really forced me to fucking get good. And then the last step was I was a creative director myself. I was pretty high up, but I had this complete horrible tech douchebag guy uh, who was like a master of web copy, which is like bullshit anyway, because who gives a fuck about web copy? No one. But he would like spend weeks like I'm like the, the menu, the menu button needs to say that this way. And like, you know, I would just like put a bunch of shit out and he and like the people on the team would be like, oh, that web copy is really not good. Like as if anybody gives a fuck, which like, we're working does. for Howard Hughes. But in the 21st right. Century. But but. That said, him being so critical of me for so long was fucking the best thing ever because it was just it just forced me to really think about my word choice. And you get all these tricks, you know, it's like it's like being a fucking anything you get. You get tricks and like tools that you can pull out yep. Yep. Here, here and there. You know what I'm saying? It's so funny. That's the only thing. It's like it, we need to find some way for our guys to be more critical of each other because yep. we're way too fucking nice. We're yeah. way too nice. And we got to be like mean. Yeah, no, definitely. It's funny. There's a, there's a small YouTube channel. Uh, I'm going to shout them out because I actually like them. Uh, at first I didn't, but uh, you know, they're, they're, they're good guys that are trying to, to, to do what you're saying. And they're, they're trying to set a standard. It's a uh, Tukey's mag. Oh yeah. Tukey's mag. I've seen yeah. it. Yeah, they have a they have a they have a, a podcast called the Sidebar, and they reviewed the uh, the first issue of Double Dealer, and they took me to town. Really? They oh, they well, they see, that's been... a blessing, them. That's yeah. A oh, totally. I and I was like, I wasn't mad at them, right? I was mad at myself for letting for letting something just get just buried. Never right? ever be mad about that, man. The oh, big, definitely the not. Greatest gift in the world. Yep, and that's somebody that, who knows what they're talking about being honest with you about your writing. That totally, is the greatest gift on earth. I and I took that and I wrote another story for the next issue that people just fucking love. Oh, that's great! Man. Right, and I I think it's like one of the best things I've written thus far. This is Tukey's uh, Mag. Yeah, yeah. There. Where, uh, where is the podcast? I can never find it. It's on. It's on YouTube. It's just under Tukey's Mag. Tukey's Mag is it on Substack. 
Uh, I think I think he has a Substack, but I don't know if they put it on there. Oh, cool! All right, I'm. So but yeah, sorry. if if I if I was if I was mad at them or if I hated them, I wouldn't I wouldn't have shouted them out. Uh, but no, they're good guys, uh, and they they're trying. I see what they're trying to do. I see that they're trying to elevate this thing as more than just like a a support group for for white dudes who get rejected from the exactly. mainstream public uh, publishing industry. Exactly, man. We need we need like real stakes. Yeah, we need you more need, real stakes. You got to be able to t- even if even if the guy is like the nicest dude in the world. If his writing sucks, you got to tell him his writing sucks. Right. And or there just if- has to be, you know, like I, I had a meeting with one of the guys who started the original vice. And he told me, dude, do you know how most of those early like vice guide to travel things happen? And like all those early, like great vice stories, uh, they were media sales dudes. There was a promise that if you sold a certain amount of like, ad space you got to just do whatever story you wanted to do (laughs) so like like what we think of as vice this like cool crazy thing it was actually just like a bunch of like media sales bros like going to weird places that they they just thought of you know right and it's like we need so much more of that man like we need there to be like financial stakes you know i think that that's or, or or if not financial like social stakes yeah but and at the same time like just unfortunately people have put so much money into cringe right-wing shit yeah that a lot like anybody with with real money is gun shy about funding anything that's even remotely right-wing because most of it's not cool uh there there's that you know those guys that did sound of freedom that one studio yeah uh, angels Yeah. yeah angel studios they're I, I've seen uh, their features in theaters and they're putting out some like it's not it's not it, it's not on the level of like Scorsese or anything, but it's better than like that, like the early 2000s Protestant Christian movies like God's Not Dead. So and, much and better, dude. I love Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom was great. I loved it. I, the, I, the, I, I absolutely loved it. And the way. new movie, the new movie, uh, I think it's like the swap or the switch or something like, like with uh, Neil McDonough as Satan. Really good. I, I actually, yeah, it's a science fiction telling of Job. Uh, it's called uh, the, sw- yeah, or the switch or, or the shift. The shift. It's called the shift. Yeah, oh, I love that. The vibe. Yeah, yep. And um, the shift. Holy shit! This is the Angel Studios' new thing. Yeah, and it's it's really good. They had Dude, uh, that. I'm so bullish on this shit, man. They ha- I'm, yeah, I'm so me too. bullish on this. I I like everyone disagrees with me, and everybody says no, you can't. Art can't be political. Stop making your art political. I saw Sound of Freedom. I saw, did you see the other great, like, nefarious? Yeah, nefarious. Oh, so good. Fucking awesome. Like, and, and the fact that the fact that they've learned that it's one, the, the majority of the country isn't, isn't like really Christian. You know, it's, it's mostly the people who just go to, to Christmas and Easter, right? Yeah. If that. Right. But the fact that they learn like, oh, OK, we're we're not we can't be separate from the culture. We have to try and make something that people will enjoy and maybe it'll get them to to come to God in some way. Yeah. But we have to make it entertaining and we have to make it like. Well, it's not even just entertaining. I mean, what's amazing about well, nefarious like is not well made. Right. But it's well 
well written. I'd say it's, it's a good. It's well yeah. written. It's a great script. Like really, really great script and great acting. It's just kind of like a TV movie, right? Yeah. Oh, and and uh, but I think they're getting better, and and yeah. that's that's what I like to see. It's like they're you know the production value in the shift, or the yeah I think it's the shift. It's it's better than nefarious, um, and it's just getting. Like they've got some real, uh, real actors in it. Like uh, this has Neil McDonough and um, oh, who's the guy who played Rudy? Yeah, Sean Astin. Sean Astin, yeah, yeah. So he's in that. Like you know, like actually, you can you can put this on a poster and people are gonna know who that is. You know, Sound of Freedom had uh, Jim Caviezel. You yeah. Know? Well, no, I mean, and Sound of Freedom was, I was blown away at how good Sound of Freedom. Mm-hmm. Was. Oh, like, I love the, it. Like the, the shots are good. The the character of Scorpion. Remember Scorpion? Yeah. You know, remember that guy that like is bit part. Yeah, is he the um? Wait, is he like the big bad at the end? The uh... I don't think he's the no. He's the guy who's like a communist revolutionary. He's like a FARC member. Right, 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 right. right. And he's got the girl. Yeah, yeah, he's the big bad at the end. He's the. Uh... No, no, he's not the main bad guy. He's he's like before the main member. Oh, okay. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Or no, maybe that is no, no, no. He, yeah, bad. yeah. He gets sold the he gets sold the girl, and she becomes like his war bride. Type right. Thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he has to he go in her there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he is basically the big bad guy, right? Right, right. Um. Yeah, that's that's a good call. That fucking that is Oscar worthy. That literally that he everyone else in it is not that good. The way that guy plays that fucking character, it's one of the best performances I've seen in a really long time. Yeah, no, no, that guy's going to get a lot of work because yeah. of this. And it's so weird because it's, you know, it's it's a movie about the, uh, an obviously Christian white male trying to stop human trafficking. Like, it's yeah. like the most it's like the most anti Hollywood thing <laughs> imaginable. <laughs> it, well, what's so insane. That's what's just. OK, so again. The reason why all of the why I'm so bullish on these like right specifically right wing or specifically Christian movies and art is because they're willing just the whole world of human trafficking, right? Being willing to go there and to explore that world and in nefarious being able to explore these ideas around abortion, around, you know, the meaning of life from a different perspective it's like we are so starved yeah like we're so starved for it that if they're the only ones who are going to be willing to tell these stories that we are obviously starved to hear like it's going to do well i'm going to do it i'm going to take it where i can get it you know and 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 people are seeing now like i think the you know i hate the term woke because i just think it's just overused you know but it's it's clear that like these studios are going to see money leaving their pocket. So they're going to course correct in some ways. I don't think it's ever going to be like all the way to the right to angel studios or anything like that, but you're going to see in the, I I'd say in the next five years, uh, you're going to see a lot of, at least an appeal to the middle again. Yeah. See, but here is why I am so excited and I, I actually have to go. So we got to wrap sure, up. Yeah. But, but the reason I'm so excited to be alive right now is because we're going to just get to see, we have never seen anything like this ever. Right. We're going to get to see 
this huge clumsy ship of women, essentially, <laughs> you know, like it's all run by women now, more or less, they're going to have to try to, to pivot and they're not going to be able to do it. Like they're, you are not going to be able to get this group of people to make something that is interesting and new and fresh and slightly right wing. They just can't fucking do it. They're going to they're going to be asked to do it. Right. Like it, that's what's going to be amazing because we're going to see them try to do it because they know monetary monetarily they have to. But they're not going to be able to do it. They're, so they're going to break be before they can bend. You know? Yeah, right. It's just going to be fucking hilarious because we're going to see all these kind of like half-assed examples of we're gonna like, see we're gonna see lady ballers from the Daily Wire. Is that right? Well, yeah, like, but I mean, that's, like, that's we're like, gonna see shit like that. <laughs> they just can't go right. They cannot go right. It's like a ship that is stuck. It, it, like uh, the left button is on. They 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 can only turn the left button off. They can't turn the right button on. It's impossible right. for them to do it. And so they can't get out of the way of the iceberg. Like they, they won't be able to. So it's well, fun. you, you told me about tar on, on our yeah. last, our last call, which was True. great, was great film, good. you know? And, and like that, even if it's not a right wing film, it was talking about cancel culture. For and sure. even like, she's a, she's like, a, of course she's a turbo dyke lesbian, you know, like <laughs> we're going to, that that's about as, as right wing as we're going to get for now in some ways, but yeah. You you can see they're like okay as long as as long as we put a chicken in and make it gay we can turn these we can tell these kinds we of can stories. tell whatever we want <laughs> right, right right exactly as long as you, you know, if there was a we'll man, give them we'll no give way. them Napoleon yeah. but it's gonna be about Josephine right exactly. and and then it's gonna suck yeah, like so, yeah. so no you're totally right it's gonna be an interesting next few years yeah no it's it's gonna be great i'm actually like so fucking thrilled i'm so thrilled about where we are right now like we're we're so lucky and we're so lucky that the at left i mean this israel thing we could not have gotten luckier man that was the fucking biggest gift we could have ever gotten i mean sorry to my israeli brethren of course but uh you know i just mean culturally in america uh that destroyed the left it fucking oh it, it, shit it, it, out of them and like, it, it fractured them like yeah, it broke it their back so the yeah. the the um oppression uh pyramid yeah crumbled. it's just yeah <laughs> right right and it's like, it's like now and the fbi is investigating you know right-wing christian guys in america like we're just kind of sitting back and just watching waiting for somebody to be like hey can you guys do something about this and yeah yeah right? Right. otherwise we're just kind of sitting on the couch Totally, man. Um, all right, dude. Well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I will, of course, put links to Double Dealer and uh, The Perfect and the Wicked. Uh, gr great, exciting uh, work all around. And so, yeah, man, uh, thanks for joining again. And <laughs> Sorry, I'll turn this around ASAP. All right. Thank you very much. You have a great night. For sure, man. Peace.